0: today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: It's just how do we respond, okay? Because a real servant doesn't care about the notoriety. A real servant doesn't care about the attention. A real servant doesn't care about who knows. You just do it because it's It's just humbling, and it's honoring to other people. It's respectful of other people. But how do you deal with it when you go unnoticed and when you go unappreciated? Did you do it only for the gratitude? Because a real servant-hearted person does it as unto the Lord, not because they get the thank you, not because they get the
0: notoriety. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Peter. God asks us as Christians to serve willingly. If you are unwillingly doing something, you really aren't doing it for Jesus, are you? We all have bad days where we don't want to be doing what we are doing, but don't let that be the norm. God also asks us to lead humbly. Today, Pastor Gary reminds us, don't do anything for recognition. Do it for the Lord. If you are unwilling and arrogant, no one will want to be around you. Christians need to lead by example so that unbelievers want what you have. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: He says, Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? In other words, are you prepared to go through some of the suffering I'm about to go through? And they said to him, We are able. They have no idea what they're answering. And he said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself, and he said to them. So now picture this. So so Jesus then gathers all the twelve. And by the way, I'm thinking the other ten are all upset, not because James and John asked the question, but because they got to Jesus first. You better believe it. These people, these 10, these 12 guys, they were, they weren't the sharpest knife in the drawer. And so when they come together, Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. He goes, okay, listen, all 12 of you guys, just, just gather around the campfire here, make some s'mores. I got some stuff to say to you. And he says to them this, you know, that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them. You know, they, they, uh, they use their authority in an oppressive, abusive way. And their great ones exercise authority over them. He says, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's very counterintuitive, especially in our culture. The idea that leadership is really about servanthood. And I don't care whether you're in a position of leadership, authority, or whatever it might be, all of us are called to servanthood. All of us are called to serve one another in love. All of us are called to have a servant's heart. Now, years ago, um, Gaylor was here speaking, and he made this statement, uh, actually in our old building years ago, and uh, he made this statement that has always stuck with me about having a servant's heart. He says, here's how you will know if you have a servant's heart. Because everybody's like, yeah, as a Christian, i want to have a servant's heart, servant's heart, servant's heart. <laughs> so we need to have servant's heart. Okay, and all of us can think we have a servant's heart, and I, I'll never forget, here, here's what he said, here's how you can tell if you have a servant's heart. It's how you react when someone treats you like one, mm, I heard some mm in the congregation. Yeah, how you react when someone treats you like a servant? Now, that isn't to say that 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 people have liberty to walk all over you. Okay, and unfortunately, some people will do that. That's not what I'm saying. It's just how do we respond? Okay. Because a real servant doesn't care about the notoriety. A real servant doesn't care about the attention. A real servant doesn't care about who knows. You just do it because it's, it's just humbling and it's honoring to other people. It's respectful of other people. But how do you deal with it when you go unnoticed and when you go unappreciated? Did you do it only for the gratitude? Because a real servant-hearted person does it as unto the Lord. Not because they get the thank you. Not because they get the notoriety. So how do you react when someone treats you like one in that sense? Like, how do you react when someone doesn't acknowledge you, doesn't say thank you, doesn't appreciate what you do? Because then that's when you can really tell, did I do this with a servant's heart? Or did I do this because deep down inside I just wanted somebody to pay me a little attention or give me some gratitude or whatever it might be? And so here in this context, you know, Peter is saying, listen, as as pastors in particular, don't use your authority, lording it over those entrusted to you, but set the example. And I have to be honest with you, you know, there are times when I just uh, say to the Lord, I'd, I'd, rather, um, I'd rather sell computers, because I, I know that then people don't necessarily look at me for an example, because I don't necessarily always like feeling like I'm, you know, living in a glass house, I'm just being real with you. And you know I've said this before, but I get the looks like when I'm like when I'm at Costco. First of all, this is the look I get at Costco. Like, you shop at Costco? That's that's what I get. And you know, like I'm got on a baseball cap, and you know I've just got on you know whatever, and somebody's like, I can't. I, you wear baseball hats? I can't even believe it. You know, and so it's funny the reaction I get. But then this is the second reaction I get. Mm, what's in your cart? Mm, hmm. Pastor G. You know, what are you buying? hmm. Yeah, what's in your cart? hmm. Yeah, just checking it out. Yeah. And if you're a godly example, yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like to have fun. I like to look in your cart, you know, and I just like, ah, what do you got going on? You know, what's your game? Hmm? What are you drinking? Mm, All right. But nevertheless, this is what we're called to be. It doesn't mean that every pastor is a perfect example. Please don't look at me. Please look at Jesus. Right? (laughs) Please look at Jesus. But nevertheless, we are supposed to recognize that with the responsibility of being a pastor goes the responsibility of living a life that um, at least points people somehow to Jesus as examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he says here at the end, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. So... Unless you're a pastor, you don't get a crown of glory. <laughs> Lead humbly. What is wrong with me? Listen, here's the good news. Everybody gets different. There are three types of crowns mentioned in the Bible. Crown of glory right here. There's also the crown of righteousness mentioned in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, which you get too. And also James 1, 12 and Revelation two, ten, says about the crown of life. Three, three types of crowns that we get. Crown of glory, crown of righteousness, crown of life. But here's the reality, okay, including my own little, hopefully maybe there is some kind of little tiny crown of glory. But here's, here's the reality for all three of those that all of us, you know, get. In Revelation 4, it says we all throw our crowns down at the feet of Jesus. It won't matter because but when we get to heaven, it's not going to be like, whoa, I can hardly hold my head up. Look at my crown. <laughs> Woo! Crown of glory. Woo! Because, when we, because there's not going to be any of that. Can you imagine if there's competition over your crown? Because in Revelation 4, what it says is we end up just casting all of our crowns down. We are undone in the presence of Jesus. Nobody is wearing a crown. Everybody is undone. We're just throwing or casting our crowns down at the feet of Jesus. So as soon as you get it, you just, and don't, it won't even be a power struggle. Don't even think it will for a moment. It's going to be okay. Jesus here. You can have your crown back. (laughs) Should, because we're going to be just so undone in the presence of the Lord. We are just going to be like, Lord, here, take the crown. I, I want nothing. I want no one except you. So as much as this looks like a little bonus that pastors get or we get altogether, together, um, it's going down to the feet of Jesus anyway. All right, let's look on to uh, verse um, 5. Likewise, here's where, here's where you younger people get, get nailed a little bit. So uh, it's your turn. Likewise, you younger people... Submit yourself to your elders. Underline that every young person in your, in your Bibles right now. Every parent loves that verse too, don't you? You're going to put that on a three-by-five card and put that in your teenager's room, aren't you? <laughs> Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Okay, again, it's not a power trip, it's one another. And be clothed with humility. So, in other words, he's saying here humility extends to everyone. This is not just something that pastors have to uh, practice. This is this extends to everybody, no matter what your age, whether you're elder or whether you're younger or anywhere in between. He says, "Be clothed with humility." For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, you know, it's interesting. He he does specifically refer here to younger people, and the reason may be because. And I'm sure um, you would agree with me if you're older now, but probably when you were younger, you know, I I may have disagreed with what I'm about to say. But basically, youth and immaturity, okay, often leads to a self-inflated view. We tend to think when we're younger that, you know, we're all that and we got everything figured out. Until you hit the reality of life... And you realize, I don't know as much as I thought I knew, and I don't have it all together as much as I thought I did. And so uh, perhaps he's addressing younger people for that very reason, because youth and immaturity often leads to an overinflated view of self. But he, in general, says to everybody here, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now he's quoting Proverbs 3.34. And again, it applies to everybody. And Peter's not the only one who quoted from Proverbs three thirty four. James also did in James 4, 6. James quotes this same proverb. So it's repeated a couple of times in the New Testament. And, you know, again, the bottom line is, do we want God to resist us or give us grace? Which side of that do you want to be on? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. Do we want God to resist us or do we want God to grace us? And I, I want and need grace. God's grace every minute of every day. And therefore, the challenge is if we want to be graced by God rather than resisted by God, we need to humble ourselves before God. Because God resists the proud. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And therefore, verse 6 humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you or lift you up in due time. Verse 7, this is a great verse, verse 7 casting All your care upon him, for he cares for you. And it's an interesting verb there in verse 7, casting. He doesn't say laying down all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That that would be fine instruction. But he actually uses a word in the Greek that means to throw it. It's it's a word that implies energy. It's like, actually, don't just, like, get rid of it. Like, get rid of your cares. Like, cast it on him. Throw it on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. And he wants his best for you. And so he calls us to cast all our cares. Don't, you know, if you want to keep your cares all to yourself, you can try to deal with them all to yourself, but it is much better when we cast them on the one who can deal with what concerns us better than we can ourselves. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Now, this is very unusual language in 1st century Roman Empire. Because remember, 1st century Roman Empire, they're polytheistic people. They, they believe in multiple gods. And it is completely foreign to the Roman polytheistic mindset that a god actually cares about you. See, they, they were all about multiple gods, distant gods, who are typically angry with you. When Peter writes here in the 1st century, this is so counter to what the culture was in the day when Roman polytheism was just all about multiple gods who didn't really care about you. He personalizes the true and living God here. And he says, the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob cares about you. He cares about you. And some of you maybe just need to, you know, highlight that in your Bibles or go home and write it down, put it somewhere prominent, because sometimes, because of what I'm about to read in the next couple of verses, you think God doesn't care about you, and there's a reason why sometimes we don't think God cares about us. And it's good to be reminded: God cares about me. God cares about me. God cares about me. He loves me, and He wants me to cast all my cares on Him. Look at how it continues, verse eight, and this is this is uh, the third aspect of suffering: be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around, and IV says, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus... After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in this closing section, he has a little P.S. in the next couple of verses we'll get to in just a minute to wrap up our study. But in this closing section here, he ends with this instruction about the reality of the devil. Because he doesn't want us to be ignorant about this. Now, Look, the devil or Satan is a real being. He is not a figment of our imagination. He is not the counter voice on one shoulder, you know, to the angel on the other shoulder. Uh, He's not a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. He's he's not God's opposite either, by the way, because God has no equal. Therefore, he has no rival. God is unequaled. Having said that, Satan is opposed to, to everything that God is about and everything that God loves, including you. And we need to get this. Satan is opposed to everything about God and everything that God loves. So Peter just gets through saying, cast all your cares on the Lord, he cares about you. Now, by the way, Satan is opposed to you. The God who cares about you is uh, also the same one that we need to turn to because there's an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion wanting to devour you so you better cast all your cares on the Lord and this is one of them there is a real enemy of our souls and he's called here the devil the devil uh, just simply means false accuser or slanderer and he has many different titles and or names in the Bible. He's called Satan, which means adversary, in Job one six. He's called the tempter in 1 Thessalonians 3.5. He's called the wicked one in Matthew 13.19. He's called the accuser of the brothers in Revelation 12.10. He's called the prince of this world in John 12.31. And if you're trying to take notes, you'll have to come back later because I'm going to keep going through the list. He's also called the ruler of the kingdom of the air in Ephesians two two. He's called the dragon in Revelation 12.9, the serpent in Genesis 3.1, Lucifer in Isaiah 14.12, and here in 1 Peter 5.8, he's called a roaring lion. Ezekiel 28 tells us that Satan was originally a guardian cherub, chief among the angels in heaven, until pride filled his heart. He rebelled against God in heaven and became the head of a kingdom, of evil spirits called demons. Those were the angels who rebelled with him. And so he was kicked out of heaven to earth. In Ezekiel 28:17, the Bible says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. God says, so I threw you to the earth. In Revelation 12, 9, it says, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Jesus described it like this in Luke 10, 18. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And now Satan roams the earth like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, Paul says, do not be unaware of Satan's schemes. Satan is always scheming against you he wants to bring division in your marriage in your home in the church Satan always wants to inspire fear in your life discouragement hopelessness Satan likes to incite hatred he likes to tempt us with sin He lies to us all the time. And so Peter says here there are some things that you need to be aware of in withstanding the roaring lion. And he says these four things to us. He says, First, I want you to be sober and vigilant. NIV says, I want you to be self controlled and alert. There's no time for games, there's a sobriety about this. We have to be vigilant about this. Satan is unseen and the demons with him, but he is constantly working in your life, in your home, everything about you he hates because you remind him of your father in heaven. And so he's prowling around like a roaring lion, just looking for somebody he can devour, afflict, tempt, discourage, divide. This is his motive. As a mode of operation. And Peter says here, I want you to be sober. I want you to be aware of this. I want you to be vigilant. He says also, number two, I want you to resist him. Resist him. Don't give in. Fight the good fight of the faith. Be wise about the way that Satan works. Be on to his schemes. And then resist him. Don't give in. Number three, stand firm in the faith. Uh, it says in the New King James, steadfast in the faith. But that's what he means. NIV says stand firm in the faith. Don't go anywhere. You know, it, it can feel, trust me, I understand like anybody else, it can feel, you can start to get really battle-weary. You start to get really battle-weary sometimes and just want to, like, throw in the towel. But you resist him, you stand firm in the faith, and you remember that you're not alone. What you're going through is probably very similar to what other people are going through in the ways that Satan tries to work overtime on us. Peter says, I want to remind you that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. By other brothers and sisters around the world, they're going through similar kinds of suffering the way that Satan tries to work on us. But look at what God is going to do. He says, but in verse 10, may the God of all grace, he's the God of all grace, isn't that good? who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. There's that, the hope of heaven again. After you've suffered a little while, because life has its share of it, God's going to perfect you, establish you, strengthen and settle you. And that's why he ends here by saying, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because the Lord is our strength. We were singing earlier, Lion of the Tribe of Judah, and it reminded me, you know, here we are tonight talking about Satan, like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. But the good news is, we have a greater lion. We have the lion of the Tribe of Judah, who fights our battles for us. And he adds this little PS here at the end, verse 12. He says, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly. Now, when he says, by Silvanus, I have written to you, it tells us that Silvanus was probably the penman for Peter. That Peter dictated this, and Silvanus was writing it down. And Silvanus, most Bible scholars believe, is the same as Silas one of the traveling companions of the Apostle Paul. It's just a more formal name. Silvanus is probably the same as Silas in the Bible, and he is the scribe for Peter. And so Peter says, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, remember at our opening of the of the study of this uh, epistle, we talked about how she is a feminine reference probably to the church at Rome, this is probably where Paul, uh, rather Peter, is writing from. This is kind of a euphemism for Babylon being Rome during a time of great persecution. He's, it's code word here. That, that's what it probably means here. She who was in Babylon, the church in Rome, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son, my son in the faith, not a biological son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.
0: That's all for today's look into the book of 1 Peter on Cornerstone Connection. This New Testament letter is a reminder that persecution comes to every follower of Jesus, even now. Peter encourages his readers to keep strong in faith in those times of trial and even challenges you to turn your complaints into time spent with Jesus. Take all that's hurting you to the throne and let your Savior deal with it and let him give you the strength you need to tackle the tough questions. Speaking gospel truth in love to everyone. We're so glad you tuned in for Pastor Gary's teaching today. We'd like to meet you. If you're in the Leesburg area, please consider yourself invited to visit us at Cornerstone Chapel this Sunday morning at 8.30, 10, or 11.45. We'll spend time in worship and digging into the Bible, and you'll meet more of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be sure to let us know you're a Cornerstone Connection listener. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find links to our social media pages and a library of Pastor Gary's messages. We even have a mobile app. This will allow you to take scriptural teaching with you wherever you go. That website, one more time, is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us next time for another edition of Cornerstone Connection.